Hello and welcome back to the Globe Podcast. This episode was written and recorded by Senior Managing Editor Alucunio. This week's episode, we will be discussing climate change, including an interview about the student-led organization I Vote for Mother Earth, Amy Coney Barrett and her nomination and confirmation hearings, and a spooktacular discussion about COVID-safe Halloween plans with some of our own Globies. For our next segment, we will be talking about our opinions on climate change. When we imagine the world in 100 years, we picture flying cars, jetpacks, and the world's tallest skyscrapers. But what we need to consider is the way that the world will truly look like if we keep going down the path we have been. If we do not make strong if we don't make a strong effort in both government procedures and societal expectations to decrease the effects of climate change, our world will become inhabitable for humans. National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, predicts that over the next century, we could see average temperatures rise as much as 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Hurricanes will increase in intensity, frequency, and duration, and sea levels will rise as much as 8 feet by 2100. That's only 80 years away. In the interactive presentation, The Last Generation, it follows three children who live on the Marshall Islands. In recent years, the Marshall Islands has been hit with numerous hurricanes, and their intensity only continues to grow. Now the families have barely enough time to fix the damage from the last one before a new hurricane or a new flood comes in. The people living on the Marshall Islands will have to move soon due to the rising sea levels, which has caused increasing increasing amounts of flooding and the impacts of hurricanes, both of which are caused by climate change. In the article, Paris Climate Agreement, Everything You Need to Know, by Melissa Denchak, she describes why the climate change is occurring. The main reason being because of greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gases are gases which can be released through the burning of fossil fuels, which are most used in factories and most other production of things in the United States. The most well-recognized greenhouse gas is carbon dioxide, the chief contributor to climate change. Denchak writes, Carbon dioxide is up by 40%, nitrous oxide by 20%, and methane by a whopping 150% since 1750, mainly from the burning of dirty fossil fuels. Greenhouse gases do not escape the atmosphere and therefore create a sort of cloud that traps the sun's heat within the environment. As our world continues to warm, the rising, the rising sea levels um, caused by glaciers melting, and the temperatures will have an immense impact on people. For example, high temperatures can cause heat strokes and other health complications, while high sea levels can cause mass amounts of flooding and destruction. While most people understand that the Earth is warming, many do not attribute it to the actions of humans, and rather climate change is a movement created by people who want to wrongly influence younger generations and create a larger political gap. David Webb, a Fox Nation host, accused the left of, quote, turning climate change into their religion, end quote. Webb also said, quote, they are easy to frighten. Just tell them that their world is ending. But do all these climate strikers really know what they're protesting for? Seems the discussion is more often centered around carbon dioxide than the environment at large, end quote. This implies that climate change, while maybe caused a little bit by carbon dioxide emissions, is mostly caused by natural factors. 
While this seems like a valid point, the data does not add up. As previously stated, carbon dioxide is the chief contributor to climate change. Often, people who either do not believe in climate change, especially global warming, or do not believe that it's impacted by humans, use examples such as the ice age or a cold winter to justify their reasoning. One prime example of this is President Donald Trump. In a tweet from January 28th, 2019, he wrote, In the beautiful Midwest, wind-chilled temperatures are reaching minus 60 degrees, the coldest ever recorded. In coming days, expected to get even colder. People can't last outside for even minutes. What the hell is going on with global warming? Please come back fast. We need you. And tweet. While this is intended as a joke, the president operated under the assumption that climate change is solely global warming. While our Earth is getting warmer, the real idea shows that the planet is showing more extreme temperatures, both hot and cold. Another argument is that putting climate change precautions in place is not cost-effective. In Richard Morrison's article in the Competitive Enterprise Institute titled Five Advantages of Stepping Away from the Paris Climate Treaty, he discusses why stepping away from the Paris Climate Treaty, a United Nations initiative to put restrictions to help the environment in place, is a great thing for the economy. This agreement would have caused the United States taxpayers to pay more money because the UN Green Climate Fund wanted to raise $100 billion by Uh, a year by 2020. He also mentioned that the $100 billion would still not make a huge difference. In addition to that, the U.S. can pursue policies that will make America the world's top energy producer and overall fossil fuels will help the economy grow. While this is true and fossil fuels do bring in a lot of money, using renewable energy sources can also make a huge impact on the economy while still helping the environment. Creating more renewable energy sources will create more jobs for people. For example, we would need people to build solar panels and install solar panels. Also, using renewable energy sources would allow more energy access in lower-income countries. As we continue into the future, if we do not start to change our ways, the Earth will only continue to deteriorate. Rather than viewing climate change as a political issue that is created by one side or the other, we need to recognize that climate change is affecting everyone on Earth. The government needs to step in and put restrictions on the amount of fossil fuels that can be used. In addition, we should begin to use more renewable energy sources. According to Renewable Energy Explained by Christina Nunez, renewable energy sources such as wind and solar power do not emit carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases and therefore are a better long-term solution for energy. In conclusion, based off of scientific research, if we do not begin to work harder to save our planet, we will not be able to live here as long as we want. On the topic of climate change, I'm here with Alexander Hagemeister, who is a junior and the news section editor on The Globe. Alexander, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Ella, for having me. Um, So let's dive right in. Why did you start your organization, I Vote for Mother Earth? Well, I started I Vote for Mother Earth because I feel like young people don't really know a lot about climate change and we will be able to vote in the next election. And it's very important that young people, especially people who are our age, knows things about climate change. So in the next election, we can make a difference. And even now, we can teach adults and other people about climate change. So when they vote, they have the planet in mind. Yes. Can you also explain a little bit about sort of like what your goals for the future, like what your mission is, sort of where you want the organization to go? 
Yeah, of course. Um, the mission is to really like teach people. I know that sounds like cliche and all, but no, of course, it's it's the best thing what we can do. Like recycling, driving electric cars, being conservative on energy. That's all great, and every little thing helps. But the best thing that anyone can do is really learn about the government and what the government can do to fix climate change, whether that be new agreements or uh, new laws or bills that can be passed to save the earth or what different big companies can do. Um, it's really just teaching kids what's important and what we can do to promote these bills and laws and how we can support what the government is not. Yes, of course. And do you have any tips for families who are trying to sort of save the environment more? Yeah, of course. Um, I would recommend shopping at places that are environmentally conscious um, and really cutting down on packaging. Packaging is a huge issue. Um, we all know that it's a big issue, but really cardboard uh, rather than like styrofoam or plastic, getting uh, paper bags instead of plastic bags, anything that's really uh, more natural than like plastic because plastic's such a big contributor in waste. Um, so anything that any company that supports uh, conservation or gives back to the environment or keeps their products uh, locally sourced uh, with minimal outside man-made objects, anything that really cuts down on waste is a big step that everyone can take. Yes, thank you. And I know for me, my family likes to bring our own bags if we can, because I know it's a little different now with COVID <laughs> and everything, but if we can bring them to grocery stores, which helps a lot. And my family has made it our mission to not buy paper towels, which is that's, just oh my, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's just one thing that we like to do. So also, I hear you're starting a club for Clayton High School students. Can you give us a little insight on what that's going to be about? Yeah, I can. Um, Really? Uh, well, during COVID, it's going to be a little bit trickier, um, especially because we can't really meet in person. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully over Zoom or something like that, um, we'll be able to talk really about the election and uh, different people who are going to be elected, either like the presidential election or um, like the Jill Shoup versus Ann Wagner. It's, it's, it's really just talking. It'll all be talking based, really learning and uh, really, I'm trying to promote people to spread their knowledge. So whether that we watch uh, like good videos about climate change or how you can make a difference, anything like that, um, it's really just a way for us all to kind of share how we are making the earth a better place, whether that be through, you know, cutting down paper towels or anything really. But I just want to share knowledge and give people a safe space to, you know, learn about climate change. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I know I will be joining for sure. Thank you, Ella. Um, where can people learn about how to support you and follow along with the I Vote for Mother Earth movement? Yeah, well, we have an Instagram account, uh, which is a pretty nice place, if I say so myself. And uh, our website, which is just IVoteForMotherEarth.org. And it has a bunch of facts. I post articles on it. And we have a few videos. Um it's just a really great place, a good starting place to really uh, dive into climate change, whether that be through reading articles, uh, seeing videos, or just knowing a couple facts. It's just a really good place to kind of get perspective. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on today and taking your time. Thank you, Ella, for having me. For our next segment, we will be discussing Amy Coney Barrett.
As you may know, President Trump has selected 48-year-old Amy Coney Barrett to fill former Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's spot on the Supreme Court. Barrett is married to Jesse Barrett and has seven children. She attended Rhodes College and Notre Dame Law School. She is a member of the Conservative Federalist Society and is an elected member of the American Law Institute. She has been associated with a Christian group called People of Praise. In May of 2017, Trump nominated Barrett to the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Barrett is considered very conservative when it comes to abortion, gun rights, and immigration policies. If she is confirmed, she will tip the balance of the court to six Republicans to three Democrats. Her nomination has caused a variety of controversies. First, her views, especially on human rights and abortion, differ greatly from Ginsburg, who she will be replacing. In addition, previously in the 2016 election process, the Republicans said it was too close to the election for former President Barack Obama to nominate someone to the Supreme Court. That was months before the election. This election, Trump nominated Barrett approximately 38 days prior to the election, much closer than when Obama was president. Here to speak with us about Amy Coney Barrett is our Globe advisor, Aaron Sutro Grady. Hi, thank you so much for being on. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, we've got uh, baby Elaine here as well. Aww. So if, if you hear her in the background, uh, she's hanging out today on the pod. Oh, well, can you tell me a little bit about how you felt when you first heard of Barrett being nominated for RBG's position? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I was certainly surprised to to get the news alert that that about RBG's passing and and, you know, it's something that it wasn't, you know, I mean, I was surprised it wasn't a complete shock. Like I knew that she has been battling cancer for a long time. And so um, there was always the possibility that um, that that was going to happen. I think the surprise that it was, um, you know, so close to the election um, definitely made things a little bit, you know, a little bit more, um, I'm trying to search for the right word. It was just like, you know, I, I, it became contentious ultimately yeah. because within in within about two hours of her passing, Mitch McConnell said, "You know, we're going to go ahead and and move forward with uh, the nomination of of a, a new justice," which um, you know seemed quick. It seemed especially after they wouldn't allow President Obama's nominee Merrick Garland to be heard eight months before an election. That right. it seemed seemed quick, and now we're we're 15 days away from an election, and we still haven't you know, the vote hasn't happened yet. So. Yeah. So how do you think RBG and Barrett compare with like political views and stuff like that? A lot of people have been saying that, you know, they have very different ideologies. Do you agree? Oh yeah. They, yeah. You could not find two people that have different, more different ideologies um, as far as how they approach the law. So uh, Coney Barrett is sort of her legal philosophy is, textualism um and essentially her her legal philosophy is looking at um the constitution as a text and trying to interpret how the the drafters or the framers of uh of the government and of the constitution would have thought about the law now um the a justice like G Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to take the law and she's going to look at it in modern context, right? So there, there are you know the the folks that, for example, that that wrote the Constitution, actually having a woman sit on the Supreme Court would not be something that they would think would be a real thing at right. this point. 
Yeah. What do you think has been the most shocking moment for you so far in the nomination process or in the confirmation hearings? Um, so I don't, I mean, I think the, the, like, I definitely think the, you know, the, the partisan battle or the part, you know, how, how political the court, the the court has become, has been something that has been surprising. Like if you look at, um, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Antonin Scalia, who was, um, Coney Barrett's mentor, um, those two justices were both seated with, I think it was like over 90 of the hundred, you know, senators agreeing. And you just don't see that sort of bipartisanship anymore. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, quote unquote, stealing of the, of Merrick Garland Supreme Court seats, but not willing to, to hear that nomination process eight months out from an election. And then the partisan rancor that sort of developed after pretty much every nominee has been put forward since really has put a bad taste in people's mouths because it does feel very partisan. And, you, you know, people aren't putting forward judge justices that um, you are going to get those large majority of people agreeing on them. So, I mean, I think that's maybe as far as like surprising or, you know, or like maybe dismaying kind of where we yeah. are in that political process. As far as the the hearings themselves, it's been more or less kind of what I thought was going to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, the Democrats don't have the votes and um, right. which is part of the reason that we're in the situation that we're in 15 days out from an election that this nomination is, is being, uh, is being heard because um, Republicans, the Republican Senate knows that there's a chance that after November 3rd, um, it might be a Democratic Senate and they're not going to get that nomination through, which case in point sort of speaks to the partisan nature of, of the nomination process of justices that, you know, it, it depends on who's in power, who right. gets through, you know. Mm-hmm. So Baird has been accused of dodging a variety of questions so far in the confirmation hearings. Do you have like an opinion or a comment on this? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a strategy that most um, justices have sort of adopted and they, they actually refer to it or, or you hear Coney Barrett refer to it as the Ginsburg rule. Um, and what that means is um, I'm not that they're going to take the position that like, I'm not going to tell you my opinion about hypothetical cases because something like that might end up in, in front of me in the court. And I don't want to have given a previous position about an issue. Right. So that's that, you know, she is, you can tell she's a very smart, has a very smart legal mind and um, she's pretty good at not, at not falling into the traps of giving her opinion about things. And in some cases, even not giving her opinion about things that you, you probably could legally, you know, that, 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 you know, that you, there's clearly a law one way or the other about things, um, that there's not a lot of disagreement about precedent. So, um, you know, every once in a while you'll see her sort of, you know, you, in, there was questions about Brown view board of education and she referred to that as, you know, a super precedent. So in that case, something that wouldn't, would not be challenged, mm-hmm. um, but wouldn't necessarily apply that same standard to, to Roe v. Wade, um, which is f- in a lot of conservative minds, that's sort of one of the reasons that she was chosen was because, um, they, they thought that she would be, um, favorable in, um, perhaps not overturning Roe v. Wade entirely, but in allowing different States to, um, sort of defect from that, uh, Supreme Court case. Yeah, so now I'm going to play a clip from one of the confirmation hearings. 
uh, with Senator Amy Klobuchar asking Amy Coney Barrett a question. So as a result of his claims, people are trying to get poll watchers, special forces people to go to the polls. Judge Barrett, under federal law, is it illegal to intimidate voters at the polls? Senator Klobuchar, I can't characterize the facts in a hypothetical situation, and I can't apply the law to a hypothetical set of facts. I can only decide cases as they come to me, litigated by parties on a full record after fully engaging precedent, talking to colleagues, writing an opinion. And so I can't answer questions like okay, that. Okay, well, I'll make, I'll make it easier. 18 U.S.C. 594 outlaws anyone who intimidates, threatens, coerces, or attempts to intimidate, threaten, or coerce any other person for the purpose of interfering with the right of such other person to vote. So what are your comments on that? Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, so Senator Amy Klobuchar, I think definitely, to me, stood out as probably one of the toughest questioners um, at, at the hearing. Um, and she was really trying to press on one of those one of those pieces of, of law that I refer to that where there's a statute and where Coney Barrett probably could have, you know, gone ahead and said, um, yes, you're not allowed to intimidate voters. That's that's there's legal ground that says that you're not allowed to do that. Um, and but again, she was just kind of trying to to thread that needle of not making headlines and wanting to that that confirmation hearing to go sort of as smoothly as possible. Um, and, you know, I think as far as um, the Democratic approach, like, again, you know, they didn't have the votes. They know they don't have the votes. So their position is really just to um, try to bring up issues they think are going to be relevant in the election, um, to remind voters about the Affordable Health Care Act, remind voters about Roe v. Wade, um, rem remind voters about some of the statements from Trent President Trump about transfer of power or meddling in the election, things that they think are going to, um, you know, get them support. So they use that the hearing as sort of a tool to bring up issues that are going to be relevant to the election where they think that, um, you know, the, the courts might be involved. Mm hmm. So what do you think the court will look like once Barrett is confirmed? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, I don't think, I don't see a world in which she doesn't get confirmed. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, you'd, you need, would need up to four defections from the Republican Party. And I think you might find two, but I don't know that you're going to find four. Um, I think you're going to see, so right now, Coney Barrett serves on the Seventh Circuit, which is known as being um, a pretty conservative circuit. Um, they... Uh, are all almost all Republican appointed um, judges, and she is on the right of the of those justices or of those judges. So, I, you know, my thought is that you're going to see instead of John Roberts at the center of the court, you're going to see Justice Kavanaugh at the center of the court, and Coney Barrett's probably going to be somewhere um, to the to the right of Kavanaugh, probably siding with uh, Alito and Thomas in a, in a lot of cases. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking your time and being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For our last segment of the podcast, we will be discussing Halloween and its limitations due to the coronavirus. For this segment, I am joined by Emma Baum, our feature section editor. Hello. Alexandra Hegemeister, our news section editor. Hi. And Daphne Krausar, our page editor. Hi. You know, I love Halloween. It's definitely one of my favorite holidays. And I think this year, I'm even though I'm probably too old to trick or treat, I'm looking forward to definitely eating some of my favorite candies. Do you guys have any favorites that you're excited about? 
Um, Kit Kat for sure. <laughs> Kit Kat is also my favorite, but I do really love Sour Patch Kids. I'm more of a Twix person. Ooh, left or right, or do you care? <laughs> I honestly don't get what the big deal is. They I really don't same. either. <laughs> Alex, Daphne, you guys have a. I'm so a left Twix person. Um, not gonna lie. Um, tastes better. There is a noticeable difference between the two. I'm sorry. It's fine. How about some jokes? I grew up in St. Louis and I've been t- telling jokes every time I used to go trick or treating. Apparently, that's just a St. Louis thing. Do you guys have any jokes you really like? I have one that's more relevant to COVID today. Let's hear it. Well, why did the chicken cross the road? Why? Because the chicken behind him didn't know how to socially distance properly. <laughs> that's really good. Well, speaking of COVID, I think, Emma, you were going to talk a little bit about the safety and, like, positivity rates and what that kind of warning to everyone is going to be about. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of organizations, um, namely the World Health Organization, has said since the beginning of this pandemic that 5% positivity rate is kind of the um, breaking point where we can begin to resume uh, some of our normal activities, and this includes our Halloween celebrations. Sadly, it came out today that the Missouri positivity rate at this moment is about 21%, uh, which is notably higher than the 5% recommended. So it's looking like uh, activities like trick-or-treating might be off the table for this year, but we still have a lot of really fun ways we can celebrate. Yeah, I know um, some of my neighbors were thinking, because we have a lot of little kids in our neighborhood, about doing some sort of like Halloween almost like Easter egg hunt where you know we one of my neighbors bought like 200 glow-in-the-dark individually packaged bags of candy that we can like hide around our yards and then the kids you know can run out and go try to find those that way you know you're not sticking your hand into a bag of candy what about you guys any fun activities you suggestions you have yeah that's so smart um I know for my neighborhood We're thinking about doing some sort of parade, like a bunch of the kids in their costumes, their parents kind of like walk through the entire neighborhood. And I don't know how the whole candy dispensing is going to work, but um, I think there are many different ways that people can still make it fun, like with prizes or just leaving it out. I mean, I think it's just all about the kids kind of living it up because it is their holiday and they're really missing out. Like, I feel bad for the kids. Yeah, one of the ways that you can make up for that trick-or-treating experience is to create a mock trick-or-treating inside your house and decorate every one of your family members' doors so you can each have your own room and go door-to-door getting candy from the living room and the kitchen. And- That's so fun. I'd love to do that. <laughs> How about some costumes? I know that Halloween is all about costumes. Do you guys have any ideas for some mask-incorporated costumes? Yeah, for sure. Um the dinosaur like can we talk about that um it's fully masked it is so cute it's so cool and it's just it's just a fun costume i think she's talking about the inflatable dinosaur oh yes the inflatable dinosaur it's just it's so cool i i wish that i would have gotten one of those they're so fun you know, and I saw this year, they're even coming out with, like, different types of dinosaurs rather than just the standard T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> I think another one that we could 
throw in there is a superhero, you know, lots of superheroes wear masks. So that would work out pretty well if you could find something that maybe just showed your eyes, put some mysterious aspects in there with a cool cape. That would definitely work out. Oh, my. So cute. Yeah. Or you could go with the superheroes of today and be a, a doctor or a front lines health worker um, wearing a mask anyways. So oh my God. <laughs> that's such a great idea. I also think that anything like scary, like if you were to look at like the scream mask or like a like a hockey mask, obviously you'd have to like tape up some things, but any scary mask, I mean, I think that would work. If there's any time to wear a mask, it's Halloween. So I think that could work really well. Or even just incorporating incorporating your mask like underneath whatever costume you're wearing. I mean, I know my little cousins really want to be Daphne from Scooby-Doo, so I'm sure she'll just rock her maybe purple mask but I think you know it's definitely going to be different this year but I think there's still ways we can make it fun yeah of course Emma you got any ideas for a mask incorporated costume well you know there's that whole thing with like Rapunzel living in Corona and like being isolated for 18 years so maybe you could be Rapunzel and rock a mask while hiding from Corona (laughs) That would be awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming and being on our segment today. I think everyone really appreciated hearing your ideas about Halloween. Thank you for having us. It was really a pleasure. Thank you.